Chapter Five of the Vikings by Ellen Mauer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kevin Johnson. Chapter Five: The Vikings in Ireland to the Battle of Clontarf. Bracket ten fourteen and a bracket. In the history of the Vikings in Ireland, we have seen how the attempt made by Turges to bring all Ireland under one ruler came to naught by his death in eight forty five. At first this seems to have thrown the Norsemen into confusion, and we hear of a series of defeats. Then, in 849, the invasions developed a new phase. Hitherto, while the Irish had been weakened by much internecine warfare, their enemies had worked with one mind and heart. Now we read of a naval expedition of seven score of the foreigners coming to exercise power over the foreigners who were before them so that they disturbed all Ireland afterwards. This means that the Danes were now taking an active part in the invasions of Ireland, and we soon find them disputing the supremacy with the earlier Norse settlers. A full and picturesque account of the struggle is preserved for us in the second of the three fragments of Irish annals, copied by Dugald McFurbis. Unfortunately, the chronology of these annals is in a highly confused state, and it is often difficult to trace the exact sequence of events. When the Norsemen first saw the approaching fleet, they were much alarmed. Some said it was reinforcements from Norway, but others, with keener insight, said they were Danes, who were coming to hurry and plunder. A swift vessel was dispatched to find out who they were, and when the steersman called out to them inquiring from what land they came and whether as friend or foe, the only answer was a shower of arrows. A fierce battle ensued, in which the Danes killed thrice their own number and carried off the woman folk and property of the Norsemen. In 851, they plundered the Norse settlements at Dublin and Dundalk. But in the next year, the Norsemen attacked them in Carlingford, Lauk. At first the Danes were defeated, but then their leader cunningly exhorted his men to secure by their prayers and alms the patronage of St. Patrick, who was incensed against the Norsemen because of the many evil deeds they had wrought in Erin. The battle was renewed, and the Danes were victorious. After the battle they made rich gifts to St. Patrick, for the Danes were a people with a kind of piety, they could for a time refrain from meat and from woman. After the fight we learn that the Danes cooked their meat in cauldrons supported on the bodies of their dead foes. The Danes now helped Kerbal, king of Osori, against the Norsemen who were harrying Munster, and henceforward we hear again and again how the various Irish factions made use of the dissensions among the invaders to further their own ends. Matters were further complicated by the fact that many of the Irish forsook their Christian baptism and joined the Norsemen in their plundering. These recreant Irish were known as the Gael Guidehill, i.e. the foreign Irish, end of bracket, and played an important part in the wars of the next few years. The Gael Guidehill were undoubtedly a race of mixed Norse and Gaelic stock, and we must not imagine that they sprung suddenly into existence at this time. Long before this, the Norsemen and the Giles must have had considerable peaceful intercourse with one another in their various settlements. 
and in accordance with well-established Scandinavian custom, it would seem that many of the Irish were brought up as foster children in Norse households, and must soon have learned to accept their religion and customs. There was also extensive intermarriage between Norsemen and Irish. The annals speak of several such unions, the most famous being the marriage of Gormflaith, afterwards wife of Brian Boruma, to Anlaf Sithrikson. Well, in the genealogies of the Norse settlers in Iceland at the end of this century, Gaelic names are of frequent occurrence. One of the most famous of the leaders of these foreign Irish was Kettle Finn, bracket, i.e. the White, end of bracket, a Norseman with an Irish nickname. These foreign Irish fought either by the side of the foreigners or on their own account, and we have an interesting story telling how, when Vikings from Ireland made an invasion of Cheshire, bracket, circa 912, end of bracket, Ithelflaed, the Lady of the Mercians, sent ambassadors to those Irish who were fighting on the side of the invaders, calling upon them to forsake the pagans and remember the old kindness shown in England to Irish soldiers and clergy. The troubles between Norsemen and Danes were probably responsible for the arrival in Ireland in 853 of Am Hleib, son of the king of Norway, to receive the submission of the foreigners. This Am Hleib is Olaf the White of Norse tradition. Olaf is represented as ruling together with his brother, Imhar, bracket Old Norse Ivar, end of bracket. The annals are not very good authority for the relationship of the Norse leaders to one another, and it is quite possible that Ivar is really Ivar the Boneless, son of Ragnar Lothbrok. Under the strong rule of Olaf and Ivar, Dublin became the chief centre of Scandinavian rule in Ireland, and the Danes and Norsemen were to some extent reconciled to one another. The Irish suffered great losses, but some brave leaders were found to face the Norsemen. Kennedig, King of Lakes, bracket Queen's County, end of bracket, came upon a party of them laden with booty. They abandoned the spoil and rushed upon Kennedig with angry barbarous shouts, blowing their trumpets and many of them crying Nui, Nui, bracket, i.e., probably in the Old Norse speech, Canui, Canui, hasten on, hasten on, end of bracket. Many darts and spears were thrown, and at last they took to their heavy, powerful swords. All was, however, of no avail, and Kennedig won a great victory. Less fortunate was Malkirain, champion of the east of Ireland and a hero-plunderer of the foreigners. He was expelled from his kingdom by the Leinstermen, who envied him in consequence of his many victories over the Norsemen. The activities of Olaf and Ivar were not confined to Ireland. In 866, Olaf paid a visit to Scotland, while in 870, both Olaf and Ivar were present at the siege of Dumbarton. If Ivar is Ivar the Boneless, he must then have gone to England and taken part in the martyrdom of St. Edmund. In the next year, both leaders returned to Dublin, with a large number of prisoners, English, Britons, and Picts. In 873, Ivar, king of the Norsemen, of all Ireland and Britain, died, and about the same time Olaf returned to Norway, possibly to take part in the great fight against Harold Fairhair at Hafersfjord. The Danes seem to have taken advantage of the removal of Olaf to attempt to throw off the Norse yoke. Fresh fighting took place, and the Danes under Albdon, i.e. Hofdonner, 
king of Northumbria, were defeated on Strangford Lauch in 877 with the loss of their leader. After 877, the war of the Guidehill with the Gyle notes a period of rest for Ireland, lasting some 40 years. This is true to the extent that no large fleets of fresh invaders seem to have come to Ireland during this time. The Vikings were too busy elsewhere, both in England and the Frankish Empire, but there were occasional raids from Dublin, Cork, Limerick, Waterford, and other towns into various districts of Ireland, and the Norsemen were often at variance amongst themselves. Dissensions in Dublin were particularly violent, and so much did they weaken Norse rule there that in 902 Dublin fell into the hands of the Irish. The Vikings were driven abroad, some going to Scotland and others to England, where they besieged Chester. In the year 914 all the old troubles were renewed. Roggenwalder, a grandson of Ivar, fresh from a great victory off the Isle of Man, captured Waterford, and two years later Sigtrigger, another grandson of Ivar, regained Dublin. The Irish attempted resistance under the Ardri Nial Glundub, but he fell with twelve other kings in a fight at Kilmagshoog near Dublin in 919. During the next fifty years, Ireland was a prey to ceaseless attacks by Norwegians and Danes alike. Towards the close of the ninth century, Limerick had become a stronghold of the Norsemen in the west, and from there they made their way up the Shannon into the heart of the country. Cork was settled in the early years of the 10th century, chiefly by Danes, and from there all Munster was open to attack. Waterford and Wexford, which stood as a rule in close connection with Dublin, served as centres of attack against Leinster. The Irish made a stout resistance under able leaders, and Dublin was destroyed more than once. First among these leaders stands Murchertach, of the Leather Cloaks, son of Njal Glundub, a hero who came forward about the year 926. His activities were unceasing. He repeatedly attacked Dublin, took a fleet to the Hebrides where he defeated the Vikings, gaining much spoil, and finally in 941 made a circuit of Ireland, from which he brought back as hostages many provincial kings, including the Norse ruler of Dublin. More famous still in Irish song and story was Kelachan of Cashel. He made war against the Vikings in Munster, and for a time had the Norse kingdom of Waterford under his control. Similarly, he conquered Limerick, and we find him fighting side by side with Norsemen from both these towns. During these fifty years, the Norse kingdom in Dublin stood in close relation with the Scandinavian kingdom of Northumbria. Roggenwalder, who died in 912, ruled there and so did his brothers Sigtrigger bracket died nine twenty seven end of bracket and Guthrother bracket or Godfrey end of bracket bracket died nine thirty four end of bracket. The brothers left sons known respectively as Anlaf Sithrixen and Anlaf Godfreyson. The latter took part in the great fight at Brunanburh and died in nine thirty nine. Anlaf Sithrixen was destined to a longer career he would seem to have spent his early years in Scotland, where he married King Constantine's daughter. It is uncertain whether he fought at Brunanburh, but he came to Northumbria in 941 and captured York. He was expelled from Northumbria in 944 or 945 and retired to Dublin. 
and the rest of his life was chiefly spent in fighting in Ireland. He was in close alliance with the Norsemen in Man and the Western Islands, and was, for some thirty years, the most powerful Norse ruler in Ireland. Then came the first great blow to Norse rule in Ireland. In 980, Milesichlein II, the Ardri, won a great victory at Tara over the foreigners of Dublin, and the islands in which Anlaf's son was slain. The power of the Kingdom of Dublin was effectually broken. The Norsemen were compelled to liberate all the hostages in their custody, to pay a fine of 2,000 oxen, and to remit the tribute which they had imposed on all Ireland from the Shannon eastward to the sea. Anlaf abandoned his authority and retired on a pilgrimage to Iona, where he died in the same year an inmate of its monastery. In the meantime events, fraught with important consequences for Norse rule in that country, were gradually developing in a distant quarter of Ireland. In the province of Munster, the Delcassian line of princes first comes into prominence about the middle of the 10th century, and the two most famous of these princes were the brothers Mathgamhain and Brian, commonly known as Brian Boruma. Together the brothers conquered Munster in spite of the support given to the Irish by the Viking settlers, and when their success aroused Ivar, the ruler of Limerick, they attacked him and won a great victory at Solcoit near Tipperary, bracket 968, end Limerick was captured, Mathgamhain died in 976, and Brian was soon acknowledged king of all Munster. He next became master of Leinster, but his rapid advance brought him into conflict with the Ardri, and by a compact made in 998, Milesetchlane practically surrendered the southern half of Ireland to Brian. The ruler of Dublin at this time was Sigtrygr of the Silken Beard, son of Onlof and Gormflaith, sister of Malamorda, king of Leinster. In 1000, Leinster, with the support of the Norsemen in Dublin, revolted. But Brian defeated them and captured Dublin, giving his daughter in marriage to Sigtrygr and himself marrying Gormflaith. In 1002, Malsechclane submitted to Brian, and the latter became Ardri. There followed twelve years of peace, but Brian's marriage with Gormflaith was his undoing. Quarrelling with her husband, she stirred up Malmorda of Leinster against him. An alliance was formed between Malmorda and Sigtrygr, and Gormflaith dispatched embassies to all the Viking settlements in the west, summoning them to the aid of Sigtrygr in a great fight against Brian. Sigtrygr secured the help of Earl Sigurd of the Orkneys, and North Scotland by promise of the kingship of Dublin. Ships came from all parts of the Viking world, from Northumbria, from Man, and the Western Islands, from Scotland and the Orkneys, and even from Iceland. Dublin was fixed as the trysting place, and Palm Sunday 1014 was to be the time of meeting. Brian mustered all the forces of Munster and Connacht, and was joined in half-hearted fashion by Malsechclane, who was really waiting to see which way the fortunes of war would turn. Brian advanced into the plain of Fingal, north of Dublin, and the two armies faced one another at Clontarf, all passion weak. The Norsemen had learned by magic incantations that if the fight took place before Good Friday, their chiefs would perish and their forces be routed. 
while if the fight took place on Good Friday, Brian himself would perish, but the Irish would win the day. So they waited until the Friday, and then made their attack. The fight was long, and the slaughter was terrible. Brian and Sigurd were themselves numbered among the slain. In the end, the Norsemen were defeated, and Malsaclane completed their discomfiture when he cut down the fugitives as they tried to cross the bridge leading to Dublin, and so reached their ships. No fight was more famous in Irish history, and it seems to have appealed with equally strong force to Scandinavian imagination. Clontarf and Brunanbur are the two great Viking battles which find record in Scandinavian saga and in the story of Burnt Njal. We have a vivid account both of the actual battle and of the events leading up to it. Yet more interesting, perhaps, is the old lay preserved to us, the Song of the Valkyries, who that same day were seen in Caithness, riding twelve together to a bower where they set up a loom of which men's heads were the weights, men's entrails the warp and woof, while a sword was the shuttle and the reels were arrows. They wove the web of war and foretold the fate of King Sigtrigger and Earl Sigurd, as well as the sharp sorrow which would befall the Irish. The Norse world was full of this and like portents, and there can be no question that the Vikings were themselves conscious that the Battle of Clontarf marked a very definite epoch in the history of the Vikings in the West, and in Ireland more particularly. The Norsemen remained in possession of their cities. Sigtrigur continued as king of Dublin, but gradually the fortunes of the Norse settlers tended to become merged in the history of the nation as a whole, and there was no further question of Scandinavian supremacy in Ireland. End of chapter 5